everybody. This is Tommy Buckley from Crowbar and Solent Green, and you're listening to the Phantasm Podcast. Phantasm. Maximum terror. Ah! That's your target audience, baby. Phantasm. You know something? I sort of enjoyed it. Phantasm. Sell the metal. Sell the metal. Sell the metal. Sell the metal. Hey, this is Dr. Vincent West with the Phantasm Podcast, and I've got a surprise for you guys today. i got another Crowbar interview for you. This time we're talking with Tommy, the drummer, and uh, we're going to be talking uh, all about Zero and Below, and then their big upcoming tour that I believe is uh, underway. So we'll uh, we'll be talking about that too. Uh, Tommy, how are you doing, man? Thank you for doing this today. I'm doing fine today. Thank you, Vincent. Appreciate you so much. Um, real quick, we were just chatting about this uh, before we started here. Tell me about uh, how you ended up in uh, Crowbar. Well, Cook and I have been friends for a long time. I mean, probably since I was 16. That's usually. awesome. And I, I was always jamming with guys a little bit older than me. So um, I was jamming in a Christian metal band called Divine Right. And uh, my guitarist, Gary Wilson, was good friends with Kirk. So that's how I met Kirk. Um, you know, we used to kind of go out and hang out, went and seen Victoria Blitz's band play uh, once, you know, and so we just knew him through the scene. So all those years later, you know, basically Craig, you know, got the slot in Black Label Society, um, Zach Wilde, they called him. I guess basically they were on tour, uh, you know, opening for Black Label, and uh, Zach was watching Craig every night, thought he was a really good drummer. And after the tour was over, I guess they had exchanged numbers during the tour. So, you know, Craig got that call from Zach. was like, hey, man, you know, we want you to come to Black Label. And then not long after that, you know, Kirk was doing uh, Life's Blood on the Dance Rod. So um, he hired, uh, you know, a while later, this was like a good while later, this was like 2004, um, he hired Craig to come back and do that one record, right. uh, Life's Blood on the Dance Rod. Sure. And Rex Brown also for Pantera on bass. So okay. it was a three-piece. It was Kirk on all guitars and vocals, Rex on bass, Craig on drums. But um, on the fine print of the record, if you look close, it says drum tracks by Craig Nunemacher and, uh, you know, uh, bass tracks by Rex Brown. But the picture on the album was a different band. It was Steve Gibb, which is Barry Gibson from the Bee Gees, by the way. Are you serious? And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Dude, That's awesome. Yeah, we had a Bee Gees son in our band. great, dude. Steve's an awesome guy and a great player. But he was he came from Black Label, so it was kind of weird, man. It was like a little swapping of, uh, of uh, you know, musicians, man. Craig went to Black Label. Steve left Black Label, came to Crowbar. And then he got Pat Brutus, which is the bass player for Down now. Okay. You know, he was playing for Crowbar. So, uh, you know... Pat calls me up. He's like, "Hey man, you know Kirk said, you know, somebody want to know if you wanted to jam. We're putting together, putting together a new Crowbar lineup." And I was like, "Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like when I joined Christen version. Instead of Phil calling me, Ross Cobbleton called me, <laughs> and then Phil called me. So it's like it was the same way with Crowbar. It was weird. Pat called me and kind of ran it by me, 
And then Kurt called me after Pat, after I was like, yeah, man, you know. So basically I told Kurt, I was like, if you would have called me all those years ago, I'd have probably been on every crowbar out there ever was. <laughs> That's know, awesome. Probably, probably wouldn't have been, I, there probably wouldn't have been four other drummers, but uh, I mean, it was Craig, you know, he had uh, Jimmy and, uh, you know, Sid Muntz played on Equilibrium and then Tony Costanza played on uh, Sonic Excess in his purest form. Yep. You know, so here I came rolling in as the fifth crowbar drummer and just basically trying to pay respect to all those guys and myself, you know. Well, it's it's great to have you on, man. I'm a huge fan of the band. And, and, and let's talk about this album. And Zero and Below's Killer uh, came out earlier this year. Uh, what's a standout track on this record for you? Do you Is there, some, is there just, just to jump right in, I mean, like the first track, The Fear That... That uh, bonds you. What do you What do you think about that you know, track? You know, it's funny. Like you asked me about tracks because I did a I did a little podcast the other day and I couldn't remember uh, her evil is sacred. Actually, and the guy was asking me uh, about the tracking on it. And, you know what? What was I thinking of doing? And um, I couldn't even remember what song number it was. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was like track number three or something like that. So I started singing and I was like a riff on the uh, on the phone. So he started laughing. But um, but no, you know, honestly, um, back to the question, I think uh, I really do like it's always worth the game, and I think Kirk says the same thing usually too. It was like a little more motorheadish kind of like rock and roll style where we were just trying to like uh, you know basically he'd pick a riff and then let the riff breathe, and where I could do a beat or do some drum fills, and then you know, the riff would come back in and then it would stop again and breathe. So that's basically was the idea of it, you know, was to be like total it was like a rock song, you know? Sure. Um, like a motorhead type of vibe. And um it came out really good, man. To me it was like I started off with a drum lick and then toward the end of the song it totally shifts gears into a like really, really fast or heavy part. And uh it's like I didn't even realize how similar like the drum licks were, you know, and it, it like they actually kind of went hand in hand, even though they were a little different. Sure. Um, and it was like cool. I didn't realize it when I, you know, until like the last time I listened to it, I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. I was like, wow, it kind of goes with the the drum lick at the end. It stops, and then I do this little drum standout thing, and then the, then that heavy faster riff comes back in. It's like the last riff of the uh, of the song. Right, but um, anyhow, you know, it's basically probably my favorite on the album. I, I do like uh, the fear that binds you, the first track on the yeah. album. I think that's kind of a, a face melter for sure. Um, you know, I was going through a lot of personal things at the time. Sometimes, hey man, Kurt's I'm in the band, and sometimes Kurt's lyrics influence me, man, because I'm you know, we all have our different things we go through in life, and you hear the lyrics, you know, people got their own little spin on what they're about, but. Uh, you know, hey man, I was at the time of my life when I was going through things writing this record, and you know, was kind of perceiving the lyrics in a certain way because I, I can relate to. You know, well, I mean, he's his lyrics are they're always. I mean, I remember oh, the, they're definitely deep, man, and and, uh, and very uh, personal. Oh um, yeah, you know, I've saw people come with the Kirk on tours and be like, man, you saved my life, dude. What's the crowbar? The lyrics, it's like wow, you know, but uh, definitely left an impression on people with his. Uh, lyrics that's for sure you know absolutely absolutely um what about confess to nothing i really like the third track what do you what do you what about that one 
Yeah, you know what's funny is that's the track that I thought I was uh, the guy was asking me about the other day. Um, you know, honestly, I got this, you know, personal view about Crow since I got in a band. We definitely have a more formulated sound now, I think, and I'm being more of a metal guy. I think it definitely took a more metal direction, but it's still very doom. Um, but I think Confess to Nothing, um, for me, I don't know, maybe if you will, you can go back to like, uh, oh, geez, dude. We, I think we have a song that kind of sounds very Alice and Alice and Chains kind of like sounding on every album. It's very strange. And Kirk always comes up with this one riff, like a one song on the album where it's like locked into this riff and, and, uh, and confess to nothing. Uh, I'm not sure if that's the one. That's that's actually what is that the third track you said? It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Correct. That's the one I am thinking of. But it starts off very heavy. I think kind of Matt might have uh, actual wrote the uh, main riff, maybe. But then Kurt kind of stepped in and wrote the rest of the song around it. But um, it's it's very to me. Uh, um, some of those songs like that start with a heavy you know like a heavy uh chugging riff it's just uh it's very driving and it just reminds me of like some of the uh older Alice in Chains like driving like you know the stuff off a of facelift they're sure um some of those songs you know like it ain't like that or something uh, it's got this that's you know that driving uh vibe to it but um when it gets into the time part I think it's great man because um, it's very layered sounding. I didn't overdub anything, by the way, on that song. Okay. Um, it's, it sounds like I did some over layering on the toms, and honestly, it's just the way I played it. It was very uh, triplet and flam oriented, so I was getting a lot of overlaying going on. I was using my feet and my hands at the same time um, to do the, uh, the the tom part, actually, when it goes into the... Uh, believe it's the verse, the first verse. Right. You know, and when it goes back to the second verse, it does the same thing. It goes back to the toms again. But, um, you know, it sounds so thick. And, uh, I mean, we've got some really, you know, well-produced albums in the last four records. And I think this one probably takes the cake. You know, um, with it's up there definitely with Serpent Only Lies, which is a great production, and Seven of the Wicked Hand. I think Symmetry and Black kind of got a little... You know, mixed them fell on the wayside, but uh, as far as the new album, I think um, you know it's a, probably the most organic production. But uh, but that song definitely sticks out to me as like the Alice in Chains track of the song. Right. I don't know. It's like it's weird, man. Every every album to me, we have a song that I think sounds like Alice in Chains. That's weird. That's, one of them. that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's so crazy, dude. I like it, dude, because Alice in Chains is one of my favorite bands. So. Oh, right on. But uh. But you know, it's it's uh it's really cool because Kirk's not that kind of guy that goes out and listens to the bands and picks out riffs and steals with it. It just kind of naturally comes. Sure, out. sure, of course. It's it just cool for me to hear him when, whenever I hear those things come out, like in uh, you know that song. It just uh, it reminds me of certain things sometimes, you know, certain bands. Right, right. Um, what about track nine, "Remaining a Lie"? What can you tell us about that one? Oh man, you know what? Honestly, I'm, I'm glad you asked me about that track because we, uh, Kirk and I were talking out about the album a while back, and um, you know, he just came out the clear blue. He was like, "I, I always liked that song, dude." And and you notice, 
this is gonna be crazy. I'm gonna tell you again. That that kind of reminds me very life of agony kind of sounded. Um, it's very very vicious, very raw. It reminds me of something like that comes off a river runs red. Sure. Um, when I hear that song, it I don't know why, but it just brings me back to when I when I first found out about life of agony, and and I was listening to that song, and then the lyrics, man, it's like very um mysterious. Right. I don't know. I, I really wanted to ask him what that's about, but it sounds like basically it's just about the world having a solar eclipse, uh, a lunar eclipse, and uh, I guess like basically like losing the moon or something. And uh, he says something about rebuilding of a moon in the song, so I thought that was kind of very eerie and odd. But uh, it's a really, really um, heavy song. And I think it, it's uh, probably one of the best tracks on the record, to be honest with you. Oh, yeah. it's. I think that's my favorite song on the album. Dude, it's, it's heavy, dude. It's like, because we were talking, and Kirk was like, man, you know that track? And I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, he, he was talking about the same track I was thinking of. And that I've been listening to, every time I listen to it, I'm, I just go, man, I love that song. You know, and it, it uh, it's, it's just really, really raw sounding and heavy. And I, I dig the riffs in it. Like I said, it's just, it, it reminds me of like the old Life of Agony stuff of like River Runs Red or like Ugly when Sal Abrascato was on drums and dude, that shit was just so thick and heavy and like a wall of sound. And that's, that's every time I listen to that song, it just reminds me of like that old vibe, you know? It's right. kind of cool. Like I said, some of our, our own stuff just reminds me of some of my favorite bands and I, I love that. <laughs> You know, I, it's funny you brought Sal up. I'm, I was a big Typo Negative fan. That's the only reason I ever bought that first, that River Runs Red, was because he was on it. Well, I didn't even know about that band. You know, I found out about uh, through Brian Patton getting some uh, free cassette tapes while he was on the road by his dad. And then he came home off the tour. He, you know, he had like Triponum Pal and like, dude, Life of Agony and all these bands you'd never heard of. Sure. And he gave me, like, a handful of cassette tapes, like, promo tapes. So I took them, and, uh, you know, I listened to them. And the only one, dude, that that really stuck to me, that grew on me, was that Life of Agony album. You know, that was the only one. And uh, that, that, you know, made me a fan out of that. I was, like, one of my favorite bands at the time, man, that came out, because it was so Pantera-ish. Sure. You know, and it was like, you couldn't go wrong with the crunch, man. They had the crunch. So... It, I took right to it because they remind me like the Pantera crunch, you know. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't. I don't know why he. I don't know if he quit Topo Negative or they fired him. I don't know the story with that. I don't but. know, man. It was very weird because at the same time, like he was in Life of Agony, but he popped up on that uh, on those Typo albums, and it was in the videos and stuff, you know. So I'm not sure like what band he really was even in. I know it wasn't Life of Agony because they. I think they ended up getting. A, I mean, for a while it was. I saw some, like, live footage of him playing shows back yeah. in the day, but I think they ended up getting somebody else. I'm not sure, but I, I mean, uh, well, obviously Johnny Kelly went the typo negative. Yep. So, you know, I, I guess he did stay with Life of Agony Sound for a while. Well, what's weird is the first two tours I saw Typo on, not to get into this, but I'm already thinking about it now, if that's cool, but I remember the first few times I saw them, like, Slow Deep and Hard, and then and then Bloody Kisses or whatever. It was Sal. Sal was still in the band. And then all of a sudden, when I went and saw them, it was Johnny. 
which was yeah. interesting because I was like, oh, that's weird. I didn't know he yeah, was. Yeah, crazy. Man, he plays drums with Quiet Riot, man. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 what I think he plays with Danzig too, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, um, I think so. but what's weird is some of those records, like October Rust, that's a drum machine. That's crazy. I didn't know that. I, I found that a friend of mine told me that, and I thought he was full of shit, and I started researching it. That band was basically Josh and Peter did did all their writing, and for whatever reason, like, I'm not sure what he actually drummed on, but I know he didn't drum on October Rust, which is really interesting. Um, but yeah, I don't know. that's crazy. Yeah, it's I was talking really to my weird. friend from Lillian Axe, uh, Danny King. Okay. He jumped on, uh, he's the original Lillian Axe drummer. Yeah. And, uh, that second Lillian Axe album, dude, Love and War, has got one of the most amazing drum sounds on it. And I always tell him that. And, uh, you know, he was a total glam player and shit, but he was a powerhouse, dude. He hit so hard. Oh, hey, he's man. A, just a massive wall of sound on that record. And he said that he did the drum tracks on a drum pad. Like, he literally played them on pads, like kick drum, snare drum, and went back and did the toms and all that shit. Sure. And then he said um, all the cymbals were overdubbed in after he sat there with a cymbal set up with no drums and played just the cymbal parts. Oh, How wow. Crazy is That's that? completely crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, dude, how you'll never, ever know or could tell from listening to that record. It's such an amazing drum sound. Oh, now, yeah. You know, it's a, basically a glam rock album, a glam metal album. You know, but um, dude, his drum sound on that's so heavy. It's so thick. Like the song Love and War, dude, when you listen to that, it's just, when that kicks in, you know it, dude. It's like, sure. Here it comes. It just builds up right into it. Hey, man, there's good players in all kinds of music. I, I never. Oh, absolutely. You know, you know there's mean, always good. I, I sit, you know, and listen and watch some of these guys and see drum clinics, and it's like, geez, dude. Go home and sell your kit and burn your sticks. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That's funny. Um, as far as recording Zero and Below, did you do anything differently drum-wise on this record? Oh, uh, you know, I, I just really, honestly, wanted to keep it re- really as simple as possible. Okay. You know, I, I really wanted to take take it back to, for Kirk, I know he was really wanted to make it more of a Doom record. So that's why there's a lot more slower, doomier sounding songs on the album. But sure. it was more of a self-conscious effort to purposely do that. So you know, when I was handed the click tracks, you know, the parts on these on these demo CDs, you know, it's like some of it's like a four a chord that that rings out for four counts. It's like what do you do when you get something like that? There's a lot of breathing. There's a lot of space going on. So at that point, you just try to keep it basically simple and do what fits the part, you know? Sure. Um, so for me, it was just kind of like going back to my roots, keeping it simple, um, you know, like as if I was a younger player, just trying to, you know, be a basic drummer. And, right. uh, and I was thinking about, you know, the John Bonham school, the, the just the old school, like less is more style of stuff. Just Feel right. Uh, tasteful, you know? Phil Rudd, totally, man. Totally one of them. He's absolutely one of my favorite drummers. Goddamn love Phil Rudd. I, I don't... Phil Rudd's, oh, dude, he's... You know, it's the first album I ever learned in my life. I sat in my mom and dad's house in my bedroom, and I learned the whole Back in Black record. That's basically. awesome. And that's how I basically taught myself how to play drums, just playing to Back in Black. I tell every drummer, if you want to learn how to play drums, dude, listen to Phil Rudd. 
Listen what a the, what a badass, you know. It's the perfect basic foundation how to start playing drums. Listen to ACDC, man. He's fucking, you know. Oh, he's absolutely a legend, man. He's one of my favorites. I love him, and I, I, I how can you not love that guy? I mean, I to me, it's just like. You know, it's it's the same thing. I could never break myself to go see them again with Malcolm gone. I, I could never do it. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably have to because I'm such a big fan. Oh, I'm dude, I love him too, but now. God, I... Phil Rudd live. I love seeing Phil play live because he's just so smooth and he's laid back in the pocket. Dude, he likes a cigarette, puts a little cigarette. Is, Phil, is Phil back with them? I, I believe he is, man. Oh, he that's awesome. Records and all that. That's He's awesome. Been with him. Like, I think Angus let him back in the back. Okay. So, God bless Angus Young, man. Jeez. Oh, yeah. Malcolm, though. God, what a what an underrated guitar player. I know. I know. Well, he was the brains of the band. You know? He wrote most of the riffs, I think, you know, and everything from what I understand. Oh, song. God, dude. He's now, such a fucking riffs, good guitar know, player, and, uh, man. I mean, of course, Angus is the... Uh, you know, the, the mastermind guitar, but he's sure. the mastermind riff writer, you know, he just kind of sat back in the, in the uh, shadows and did his thing, you know, I mean, him and Cliff Williams, you know, they stand <laughs> in the back on stage, but I mean, you know, a lot of ACDC fans know that now was the guy, you know. I tell you, man, I, I got to see them a few times when I was a kid. Um, I saw them back in black, and then for those about to rock, and I was really yeah, young. And dude, it was fucking. Oh, fly on the wall was great. Yeah, and I. It was the same thing together. Yeah. Loudest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I'll tell you something. I was talking about the other day with a buddy of mine. Flick of the switch, even though it's. Oh my god, dude. That's 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 Phil drumming on the record, but he's not given credit. It says it's Simon Wright, but it's Phil. No, it's Phil Rudd, but it was actually Simon Wright in the video. Yeah, that's crazy. Simon came in after the album's recorded. Sure. That was Phil's last record. Dude, Flick of the Switch is one of my favorite ACPC albums. It's great. Um it was you know, it was the it was the third of a trilogy due to the records, you know. <laughs> it's good the, shit. The changing of sound, dude, from back and black when they changed that whole sound. And that sound carried on for a good three records, which ended with Flick of the Switch, you know. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing, dude. I'll tell you. Very good stuff. So tell tell us about this this tour. Um, it's a long one. It's seven weeks long. I mean, we're basically going Midwest and a lot of the East Coast. Okay. Um, we had already did like a lot of the West Coast and everything with Sepultura and Sacred Reich. So we were trying to just hit some markets and places that we did go. You know, on the last tour, a little smaller uh, venues and stuff, but it's cool, man. You know keeps it real brings it back to the old uh, days when you started off playing but uh, some of these clubs are so hot man it's like jeez I thought I was going to die on stage one night but um, it's been going good you know sometimes it's a little warm on stage and oh yeah clubs and I mean shit dude we're getting up there now you know I'm in my 50s Kirk's you know in his, I'm 52 Kirk's 57 so okay. dude that's three things I always say you know when you're on tour when you, you need to have a, a good gig and it's a towel a fan and a water <laughs> gotcha <laughs> you know, other than playing well you gotta have those three things and uh, for a drummer me that's you know every night on stage gotta have a towel a fan and a water at least it's amazing um, how long have you guys been out so far uh, this is about mid mid point through the tour we're right in the middle now it's okay. about three and a half weeks 
Um, we're working on toward the end of the fourth week, I believe. Uh, I think the end of this week will be like a month. Uh, okay. Something like that, close to it. But um, we did like a few shows uh, with Mothership before the tour actually started. Oh. Three shows. And uh, we love those guys, man. We did some uh, touring with CLC and Mothership. So we were already friends with, with those guys. So it was fun to see them for three days and hang out. And, uh, you know, they uh, they went back home. But I wish they could have got on a tour with us. But uh, we have a, a band now called Spirit of Drift, which is actually a really, really good band. Uh, the drummer, Mike, has actually played in M.O.D. He's the drummer for M.O.D. Really? That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. But he's a really nice guy, good drummer, man, great band. They're all a bunch of great guys, so it's fun to have them out here on the road with us. And uh, like I said, man, it's just a long one, and we still got about another three and a half weeks to go. Right. Well, I'm going to ask you this because I asked her, are you are you a big Saints guy? Oh, jeez, dude. I'm, I'm, I'm the Saints fan that definitely bleeds black and gold. Gotcha. Perfect, but, perfect. Uh, you know, um, they're all Saints fans. I mean, I don't think... Any of them are probably any more hardcore than me. I'm probably definitely the most diehard Saints fan guy in the band. I mean, I have been my whole life. I know that and Kirk are, but I think, honestly, I could say I was probably most fanatical about it. But, uh, you dude. know, dude, if you walk in my house, I got, like, mini Saints helmets. I got full-size Saints helmets on bookshelves. I got, I got, uh, I got the Super Bowl 44, like, whole uh, field panoramic picture view that uh, a photographer took and uh, you know released as a print oh shit from end zone to end zone so I got that whole thing framed that's above my entertainment center my living room <laughs> but uh, but um, yeah man it's, uh, it's definitely uh, you know uh, diehard Saints fans for sure man and, and on the bus between me Kirk and uh, Matt you know Shane's from uh, Mississippi and his dad uh, I think he came from Dallas or something. So Shane, Shane's a big Dallas uh, Cowboys fan. Oh, uh, okay. You know, because his dad came from Texas. Or gotcha, gotcha. Uh, Texas or whatever. Well, he told us the story. but uh, So he's a big Texas, uh, the Dallas Cowboys fan, you know. That's that's wild. Let me ask you this. So do, you, do you think Dennis Allen lasts past this year, or do you think they fire him? Nah, man, I, I think he's good. I like uh, Dennis Allen. I think he uh, he worked under the Sean Payton regime, so he knows how it works. He knows how Sean works. I mean, I mean, you know, I think uh, I think we're gonna have a really good team this year as long as they can keep Jameis Winston healthy. Get hurt. Yeah, he uh, spraining his ankle at practice. You know. Well, uh, yeah, I, I that that's you know, and that that guy is so weird, and uh, you know, he's he's on fire, or then he's he's terrible. It's yeah, it's like yeah, I know, I know. It's and the weirdest thing. I mean, that's, that was always the Saints' uh, luck as far as quarterbacks. I mean, you know, we had some good ones over the years, man. It just it's always hit or miss. You know, you can never tell how they're gonna do. Some days they're really good, and some days, you know, they're just not right. So good. I tell you, are as Kirk mentioned to you, are y'all, do you all think you all will try to get Arch Manning once he gets out of college? I don't know, man. I tell you, um, we were lucky enough to get the Honey Badger. You know, shit, he played at LSU. Hey, man, you've got, you've got Landry back now, too. He was LSU, wasn't he? I think so. Um, you know, so I know for those guys being that they played at LSU and then, you know, it's, you know, it's like a dream come true for 
Tyrone Matthew to be playing. Oh, dude, defensively, you're all, I mean, loaded. Cam Jordan's a, a fucking freight train. Oh, dude, he's a beast. But I, I honestly, dude, I think that we're going to have a pretty, you know, decent team this year that they can just keep themselves healthy and not um, shoot themselves in the foot with the penalties. Like they always That's do. part of your all's charm, though, I think. I mean, it sucks, but, I mean, they're, they seem like they always give you all hell, the refs, so... That's because our, our defense is always so violent, dude. Like, <laughs> they all, they I mean, they are. Like smashing somebody up or a late hit on a play. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. But, uh, I think, I tell you what, man, we saw the 10th uh, play of the week on Sports Center uh, Sunday night, me and Matt, and it was uh, it was that interception. And it was pretty good. It was like it was tipped up in the air, and, man, somebody just comes out of nowhere and does like a Superman leap and, and intercepts it. So that was like, uh, the number ten play of last week. Like, I mean, I hell, all sports. Yeah, it was mostly like baseball replays and shit. They were right. showing like, you know, but uh, but the number ten play was a football play. It was the Saints uh, intercept. Nice. Well, I'm planning on making it up there to a game this year, so I'm like three hours away. I'm in Pensacola, so. Um, yeah, I haven't been to a game season so long. I can't even tell you really when the last time I went. But I used to go back in the. Uh, 80s when I was a kid. Um, actually, it was the 70s. Dude, that's awesome. Back in the 70s. Uh, my neighbor, my mom and dad's neighbors, they had uh, season tickets. So, um, you know, I was best friends with their son. So whenever they didn't want to go, my, my neighbor Melvin, well, Mel would go and, uh, you know, and then Big Mel would drop us off. He'd be like, hey, man, y'all wanna, you want to go to the Saints game? I'm like, shit, yeah, let's go. <laughs> I wasn't even 10 years old yet, you know? So I got to see Archie Manning play a lot back. It's amazing, dude. I still have those ticket stubs too. You know, all those tickets. That's stubs. awesome. Yeah, I saved them. All the old concert ticket stubs. So, who, real quick before I let you go, who's Kirk's favorite all-time Saints player, and who's yours? Oh man, shit. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll say right off the back. I have a lot of favorite Saints players, but dude, Drew Brees is my all-time favorite. It's a fucking badass. Drew, Drew Brees. <laughs> Will absolutely always be my all-time favorite Saints player from here on out, probably to the day I die. Whether another Drew Brees that comes in and is even better than him, I'll probably still Brees will still be my favorite. Player. Gotcha. But he was just a class, a world-class act, dude. He came into that city when that city really needed him, and that, and they needed that team. And they came in, dude. They lifted everybody's spirits up after Hurricane Katrina. And dude, three years later, he took us, you know, three seasons later, dude, four seasons later, whatever, he took us to the Super Bowl, man. And that, that speaks, you know, high uh, volumes, measures, dude, for him, that team, Sean Payton, the coach. You know, and he tried, dude, he came close several times after that, man. I really thought he was going to get another one, and I was praying that he would, dude, and just... The NFL hates the Saints, dude. So you're, they, yeah, I, I can't argue uh, that they really do. Sean Payton, yeah, man, everything they found so many different ways to always uh, hand the Saints their ass to hold us down, you know. But uh, I think I think it was a good possibility. Like in 2012, uh, 11, we were really good, but 12, I think we could have did it. That's the year they suspended Sean Payton. Yeah, it's bullshit. And, and then you know we got pretty close a, a few years after that. Man, it's like you know you gotta. Just gotta have the fire in your eyes. They didn't right. have what they had that year. Sure, time, sure. Man. They, you know, a team that goes thirteen and zero in a row, you got the fire in your eyes. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
What's Kirk, who's Kirk's favorite player? Uh, excuse me. Uh, Kirk. Shit, I don't know. Um, I. That's a good question. He's a little older than me, so I mean, I can recall a lot of the older guys, man, like Wes Chandler. Okay. On on uh, uh, wide receiver, uh, we had like I can't even remember some of the positions. But we had a guy Conrad Dobler. Okay. Uh, I mean, dude, Archie Manning, uh, Ricky Jackson. You know, Ricky Jackson's also, uh, he's probably my second line player to Drew Brees because he was just a beast back in the day. Sure, sure. You know, um, but I don't, I don't know, man. I, that's a good question. I, you're going to have me asking Kirk that later on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I want to know who his favorite Saints player is. He may remember talking to me. He may not, but we talked football, but we didn't get that that far with it. But you know, well, Ricky Jackson was the guy, man. That he he got in a uh, a car accident one week. Oh God! Mid season, man, and he uh he was in a car vet. He was driving his car vet, and he he hit the windshield. Man, he split his freaking forehead open pretty good all up, and uh, they literally took a steel plate. And they put a steel plate in his head. Damn. So he's got this steel plate, dude, in his head. And the NFL made this special face mask for him, dude. And he came back before he was healed up. Damn. He was a beast, dude. If you go look at, go back and see if you can find some pictures on the internet. But I don't think there's been, maybe by now there's a face mask that's matched it. But back then... There wasn't a finger you could get into this thing. Oh my god! Um, because the only section that was opened up was by his uh, shield. He had that shield going across. Right. So you couldn't see his eyes. He had that. He had that black tinted shield. So technically, nobody could get a hand in his helmet at all. <laughs> so, dude, it was it's, it was pretty amazing. If you go look, try to see if you can pull up some pictures, man, on the internet. He had a one-of-a-kind uh, face mask that was built by the NFL for him to be put on his helmet to, to play after that car accident. That's wild, man. Yeah, man, check it out. It, it was literally his cage over his face. Dude. It was crazy. <laughs> it was insane. It sounds like it. But he was a beast, dude. Like He got in there with that thing and played. Still, you know, probably not fully healed from the car accident. That's wild. But they were the Dome Patrol back in the day, so he was like one of four, man. It was Ricky Jackson, Sam Mills, which is dead now, God bless him, Vaughn Johnson, and Pat Swilling, dude. Awesome. And they were, man, you couldn't you couldn't get nothing past those guys. Like, Pat Swilling and Ricky Jackson were on the ends, and dude, they would sweep they would sweep them every time. They would just come <laughs> and run over whoever, who was ever on the outside of the line, or they wouldn't even be touched. It was just, it was sack after sack after sack after sack. That's how they got the name of the Dome Patrol. Oh, okay. You know, because those four dudes were like, they, they were something else, man. They were unstoppable. Oh, man, that's awesome. Well, Tommy, thank uh, yeah, you for man, doing this, man. Ricky Jackson uh, face mask if you get a chance. Oh, absolutely, man. Dude, thank you for doing this today, guys. Zero and Below is oh, available man, from Crowbar. Go see them. They're all over. They're touring. Dude, it was a pleasure. Let's do this again sometime. I had a blast talking with you. Absolutely, brother. Anytime, man. We'll talk anything you want. Football, drums, crowbar. Yeah, man. Whatever, man. All about it. It's fucking awesome. 
Hell yeah, brother. No dude, problem. have a great day. I didn't mean to talk your head off. I appreciate you taking the time to no, do this. No, man, I love it, dude. I had a great time talking to you today, brother. And you know something? I sort of enjoyed it. Phantasm.